0: Everyone can, uh, I, just, I just kind of feel the Lord telling me to do this. If um, everyone can just be quiet for a second, and tell me if you hear anything. Water Does anyone hear anything other than Kevin? I hear it. What do you hear? What is it? The dripping, yeah. So during worship, we're hearing the water boom, boom, hitting, the, hitting the, I'm getting a little like, oh, Lord. Because the roof is leaking again, you know, and we, we've got a plan to put things together, but, you know, some people in construction, like, say they're going to be here on a certain day, and then they don't come, and then you've got to chase after them. So all this kind of crazy stuff, and it costs money, this, that, and everything. I feel like the Lord was just saying, like, during worship, that even that little water hitting the bottom of the bucket is an act of worship. I was like, what, Lord? He's like, yeah, that water hitting the bucket is showing a sign that you guys have chosen to forego this at a moment, or for, forwent that in the past, because every drop that's hit in the bucket uh, could have been alleviated, but instead of alleviating it, you've chosen to give money to missionaries. Every drop that hits the bottom is like, yeah, it's a dollar, you've chosen to actually invest in people and house churches in Israel. Every drop that hits the bottom, that is money that you have given to people in the congregation and in the community to help them and to assist them. Every drop that hits, that's money that you've given to a church that uh, acts and uh, and is walking out in the gospel in the Philippines that are meeting in probably much more humble uh, environments than ourselves. So I just want to encourage you, because the Lord has encouraged me that, that even something that could be an annoying and seems to be like a little thing for me is like, no, that's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And we will get it fixed, but the Lord's like, hey, but you're using the money for maybe a little bit more important things than an annoying drip, right? I know, I got excited about that. I was like, all right, cool, Lord. I don't feel so like, oh, about it. Amen. All right, I got an amen from Alan. Awesome. Good. Yeah, I just, I just felt like to share that. So uh, today, and I think that kind of relates, right? The, the drips, the things that aren't going right in our, in, our, in our life can actually be an act of worship. Amen. All right, so this week uh, we are continuing with our series on Arete. And so last week I uh, discussed how Arete is a Greek word meaning excellence uh, in body, soul, and spirit. And my brother uh, Josh back there was saying, hey, you know, what? An important aspect is understanding the difference between excellence and perfection. Perfection can never be achieved. When we try to perfect things, the line just goes deeper, right? You have to try even harder. So we're not talking about a spirit of perfection. A spirit of perfection is striving. A spirit of perfection is doing things in your own accord. When we're talking about excellence, we're talking about trying to be really uh, the best version of what the Lord has given us for His glory, right? Doing things excellently is different than perfection. A lot of this is coming out of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This notion that we haven't maybe completely understood the holistic nature of man. That we are not just a spirit, right but we're also a soul. We're also a body. And we have a responsibility here uh, to sanctify all of ourselves. And I know that um, last week, And a part of today um, may be a little difficult because we are talking about things of the body. And I just want to encourage you as, as a pastor, as a shepherd here, it's my desire and love to see you walk in the fullness of what God has called you to. Like it's really my heart and love to just see you prosper in all aspects of your life. Right? And if we want to and we expect to prosper in all aspects of our life, we need to learn About how to do that right Uh, and so this week is uh, what we're calling the seen and the unseen Uh, there are things in our spiritual walk uh, that we get to hide there are even sins in our life that we get to hide and then there's things in our life that are seen Uh, but there's a power in the seen and the unseen and what I mean by that is that there are things that we go through that we just like to hide And no one knows about them, just you and God, and it's very safe. Then there are things in our lives that people may see uh, that you can't hide. And that makes things difficult. To get this started, we are going to actually begin, I never thought I would do this, but we're going to begin with an interesting video. Just make sure the computer music is on, please. On a three-hour tour, three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tough. the fairless drew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. In Desert Island, the skipper too. The millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the movie star, the professor and anne Awesome. Now you can kill it. Now this is just like a <laughs> extra rendition. And if you can, all right. Wasn't that fun? Yeah, you're like, right. what the. What what the heck is going on? I know. So we are talking about arte. We're talking about excellence in all things, and we're talking about uh, you know today and next you know next week. The following week will be a little different, right? Uh, but this week it's it's on uh, essentially the shell of the tripartite, the shell of humanity, and that is uh, the body. And so. Uh, several months ago, I got all excited because I was listening to something on the radio, and they were talking about that actually the producers of Gilligan Island, or Gilligan's Island, was actually going for a very deep spiritual and philosophical allegory of humanity. And you're like, it's Gilligan's Island. No, it's not Gilligan's Island. The producers actually said that each character on Gilligan's Island is a representation of one of the seven quote unquote deadly sins. And so the entire series was about an articulation of our sin nature and how it foils us, how it ruins us, how we can't get off the island because of those sins. So let's take a look. Mr. Howell obviously is a representation of greed, the millionaire. His wife, Mrs. Howell, is a representation of uh, sloth. She does absolutely nothing. Ever, right? She just sits in her little hut and she doesn't do anything. It's a notion of laziness. Uh, Ginger, go figure, right? Of course, we all know that, right? It's the the sin of lust. Uh, The professor, pride. He's the know-it-all. He knows how to do everything and how to figure it out. And he even looks down upon those lesser minds. We then have the skipper, who is a representation of both gluttony and wrath. You're laughing because you can, you can, if you grew up watching these programs, like you, you see the scenes when they're operating in this way, right? And then Marianne, who is envy, She's envious of, of Ginger. She's always trying to compare herself and trying to be as beautiful and trying to be as, I guess, provocative or whatever uh, as Ginger. And that leaves us with Gilligan. You will never be able to think about Gilligan's Island ever again the same way. Gilligan is a representation of Satan. Satan. He's dressed in red. It is his island. He's the one that got them there. He took them on the minnow, right? And got them to the island. And every time they come up with a plan of how to get off the island, which is pretty, every single episode, who foils the plan every single time? Satan does. He keeps you from getting off the island of the deadly sins. He has brought you there. He has kept you there. And he will spoil every plan of you to try to get off of it. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Isn't that wild? It is t- You're like, wow, these producers are really going for something. And so, fine. Uh, you know, there are the seven deadly sins. There are... In Catholic circles, they really teach on this, but in Protestant circles, me growing up Protestant, I never once heard about the seven deadly sins. Never once. Like, no one ever taught about it and things like that. It's just anyone like grew up in a Protestant church, you're like, yeah, we never really discussed the, pro- you know, the deadly sins. Like, you got, yeah, like, yeah, I didn't think. Like, it's it's a, more of a Catholic tradition, because in the Bible, it doesn't say these are the seven deadly sins. It doesn't say that. But there are obviously representations in the Bible of these types of sin nature. But here's the thing, you know, there are things which are seen and things which are not seen in terms of these deadly sins. We're well, going to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, kind of build a little bit of a, a foundation here, right? First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Like, your body, the shell, is the temple. And so, you know, I know people are thinking, oh yeah, your body is your temple, like, you shouldn't put certain food in, you shouldn't drink certain things. But interestingly enough, in context, it's actually not what it's talking about. If you actually read the context, sexual impurity is actually what's being discussed. So it's very interesting, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, the temple is the Holy Spirit, you're not supposed to eat certain things, you're not supposed to drink certain things. Fine, I, I, I get that to some extent. Um, but really, in the scripture, it's talking about Impurity of, of sexual nature. So it's just interesting how we can kind of twist the context of scriptures right in our head. But there is still a power here. Your, your body is a temple. Amen. And so it should be, take, be taken care of in all things. And so where is this coming from? I mean, This is really coming from last week I was talking about how if we want to really see revival takes pl- take place in your life and in your community, we really need to take a look at the triunity of man. Just like God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mankind, can we maybe lower the mic? Is it a little loud? Yeah? Thanks, Josh. Um, mankind is also broken down into this kind of three sections, right? We have a body, we have a soul or the psyche, which is the mind, and we also have the spirit, which is your spiritual man, which is seen before the Lord and is what actually goes up to heaven. And a lot of times in our Christianity, in our Christian walk, We'll spend a lot of time on the spirit and even a little time on the soul. The soul being your personality, your emotions, your will, your rationale. But I've never really heard anyone really teach on the body. And if we want to see ourselves be completely transformed, uh, really, we need to talk about all three. Now here's the reality. The reality here is this. Um, If I talk about the things of the spirit, if I talk about things of the soul... If I talk about how like you shouldn't be uh, uh, lusting, you shouldn't be walking in greed, you shouldn't be watching pornography, you shouldn't be drinking too much alcohol, you shouldn't be consuming nicotine, you shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z, really, no, no we won't bat an eye on it. Of course. But if I talk about an element of the body, if, if I talk about health, we, we get more sensitive. And I completely understand that. And one of the reasons why we get more sensitive about it is unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it is what is able to be seen. Like you look at me, you don't know if I do or do not struggle with lust. If you look at me, you do not know if I struggle with or not struggle with envy and pride and greed and deceit. And lies. Cause it's not seen. But when it deals with other things, and it's not just gluttony, I think it's also anger can be seen. I think gluttony and anger can be seen. And so that's what makes things sensitive. And I get that. But I just want to be have be responsible for the Lord to, to just not call out sin, but talk about the whole man and how we deal with things. So this is reality. The, no sin is greater than another. We have this mentality that one sin is worse than another. It's not. We have fallen short before God, and He saved us. So, you know, a guy that is, is struggling with nicotine is no worse than the guy that is struggling with impure thoughts. And the person who's struggling with Food is is no worse than the person who is struggling with pride, but you just don't know that they're struggling with pride because they keep it all inside. There's no difference before a holy God, right? And so I said, need to get that out there, man. So how does it work here, right? Uh, We have certain... Let me go back here to make sense. Uh, I I would argue that the the deadly sins, if you want to call that, of lust and the pride and greed essentially are not seen. I guess greed, we can come sometimes see it, like if there's like uber you know, affluence in their life. But sloth, which is pure laziness. Wrath, which is just excessive, complete anger. And gluttony are ones which can be seen. And so that's what makes things a little bit more difficult. <clears throat> so, <coughs> to preach on the whole man. Uh, If we want to see victory in our lives, I I don't care what it may be, but since today we are talking largely the body, I'm just going to encourage you with this. Victory in a manner does not occur when we focus on the sin. It will not happen. I don't care what the sin is. It's not going to happen if you meditate and you think and you beat yourself up and you think about the sin. The victory occurs when we, in fact, focus on arete, When we focus focus on virtue, when we focus on the giver of virtue. Example, if we turn to Philippians chapter 4.18, it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible that I actually wish that we would probably spend more time meditating on and thinking about. And I think part of our struggles in life is not unpacking this scripture verse. If we would just really walk this out, Philippians chapter four, verse eight says this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any arete, if there's any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Just think about a moment, the the struggles that you have in your life, the problems that you have in your life, your self-worth, your pride, your whatever it is, fill in the blank. If we took that energy, and in those moments, if we chose to not meditate on the bad, but if we chose to meditate on those things which are good, those things which are holy, those things which are pure, I'm telling you, your complete mind would be completely altered and changed. This is the scripture by Paul. Meditate on those things. Don't meditate on your problems. Don't meditate on how you can't pay your bills right now. Don't meditate how you're not feeling well and you got a flu or a cold. Don't meditate on your problems. Meditate on purity, on goodness, because you have to meditate on Him when you're doing that. And when you do that, I am telling you from experience, that is when you begin to see things in your life change. In any given situation where you're going through it and you're starting to think about things, you have to go back to Philippians 4. All right, I got to train my mind, which is very hard, that in this moment, I am now going to think about his goodness, his love, his beauty. All of that is going to shift your thinking and then it's going to shift the way that you engage everything. So we could beat ourselves up and preach and teach on the seven deadly sins. And if I do that, we're not going to get anywhere. So, sloth, greed, lust, envy, pride, wrath, gluttony. Fine, I, we, 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 we could go talk about that, but that's probably not going to be so edifying. For the seven deadly sins, the tradition is that there are seven heavenly virtues. And the seven heavenly virtues counteracts every sin. So we can think about the sin, or we can think about the... I'll leave it in your courts, what you want to focus on. My experience has been, is if I focus on the envy, I just become more envious. If I focused on the pride, I just become more prideful. And I just become so prideful that through my pride, I'm going to fix my pride. What you focus on gets bigger. So the seven heavenly virtues are the following. For sloth, what counteracts sloth? Diligence. What counteracts greed? Charity. Giving to people. If you think you might be dealing with greed, go give some money away and see what happens to your heart. My Lord. If you're dealing with lust, go walk out and begin to do things which are pure. If you are envious of other people, instead of being envious of them, go do acts of kindness towards them. This is the power of do not hate your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Love your enemy. Because once you love your enemy, or rather once you pray for your enemy, you're going to love them. And once you love them, they're no longer your... You have to walk out in the opposite spirit in which something is coming up against you. It's the only way out It is the only, 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 only way out because of the grace of the Lord. See, the grace of the Lord is not to beat you up on your sin. The grace of the Lord is to show you that there's another way. and The grace of the Lord is going to deliver you from the things that you're struggling with, not by you focusing and trying to deal with the problem, but in fact you dealing with the solution, the virtuous thing. If you are prideful, walk in humility. If you have wrath, let's focus on patience. And yes, if there is gluttony, temperance. And by the way, gluttony is is not just food, right? Gluttony is just overindulgence in anything. In anything. Even sometimes good things can be an act of gluttony. It's weird. Water is good for you, but you drink too much water, you can actually hydrate to death. There are, there are like extreme athletes who have actually gotten very sick and have even died because they are so concerned that they're going to dehydrate, that they drink so much water and they actually flood their cells with too much water and they die. It's crazy. So yeah, let's, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's talk about, not gluttony, but let's talk about temperance. Let's just talk about temperance. Once again, it's not just food. It's overindulgence in anything. Whew. So temperance. Temperance is just defined as self-control in action and attitude, especially with food and drink. Um... What we have here is an element of, really, temperance is essentially <coughs> self-control. We see in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the scripture verse that I read last week. It says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Interesting, how many virtues are in this? I didn't realize it until now. Giving all diligence, right, which is the opposite of sloth. Uh, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and goes on. Right? Self-control is a virtue that we are to extol. Now, okay, self-control. Um, some of the things here um, that Paul may talk about, 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Right? It's a notion of that, yes, we are human beings and our flesh likes to flare up. And we need to beat back the flesh because the flesh is the thing of the earth. And if we are acting in temperance, what is something being tempered? Right? Iron to become steel or steel to become iron. I forget which one it is. Iron into steel. Right? It needs to be tempered so it's heated. And then it's flash, kind of quick, chilled or cold. And it tempers the metal. It makes it stronger and harder and, and more durable. And so, temperance is a notion of, of becoming hardened in a good way. And Paul is talking over and over again I need to beat back my body. Because my body is the weak part of me. It is the one that is the visceral, it's the physical, it's the one that is tantalized by, by the emotions and the pleasure. And I need to beat it back for the furtherance of the gospel. And so, really, the body is just an extension of the notion of self control. Although the body is not the only place to have self-control, it's also the mind, but we're, we're talking largely of, of body right now. Now, why? This is a very powerful scripture verse. It uh, says here, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So, self-control is an act of a protection upon you. If you don't have self-control, that one beer becomes two. That two becomes three. That three becomes four. And now, your spirit is unruly. Anything can leak in, right? If you don't have self-control, you know, the one TV show becomes two TV shows. Three, four, five, binge watching. And then before you know it, you just spent two hours, three hours, filling your mind with things of the world, right? Without self-control, one treat becomes multiple treats but essentially the principle here is this it's larger than just the body what happens here is if we do not exemplify temperance or self-control in our lives a couple things happen the first thing that happens we allow a sin mentality of overindulgence in all things of life to leak into all aspects of our life if we're not temperate in body we're not going to be temperate in mind if we're not temperate in mind we're not going to be temperate in your soul and your spirit it's an exercise So, if we do not become self controlled in the physical things, I'm telling you, we will open our door up to various spiritual things. Without temperance, we become a slave. Without self control, we become a slave to the thing that is now controlling you. If you are a slave, you are not free. Jesus says that we are now no longer underneath the law of sin and death, but we are now underneath the perfect law of liberty. And here's a very interesting paradigm. Liberty is freedom. I, a lot of Christians say, well, I, I am free to do whatever I want, right? I could eat what I want, I could do what I want, to some extent. But really what's interesting here is you cannot be engaged in the law of liberty if you have engaged the law of overindulgence. Like you can't be free in something if something controls you, right? Like the Lord wants you to be free. Free! Free! Free from sin, free from your, your 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 heaviness and your depression. You know all the like the spiritual things we talk about, but he also wants you to be free in the fact that nothing and no one can control you. No one can. And nothing is going to control and have its hand on you. That is walking in the perfect law of liberty. Perfect law of liberty is not just the, the, the pain of sin and death and destruction. It is also having liberty that nothing will control me. My mind, my body, my spirit. That's when you're free. That is the essence of freedom. So what happens here is the thing, the it that may be tantalizing you to overindulge. Uh, you will master it, or it will master you. And, and, I mean, anyone who's walked in addiction knows that, right? It will master you, or you will master it. If it has mastered you, it has become your Lord. If it's become your Lord, you now have an idol in your life. Right? You seek the beer to calm you down. You seek the cigarette to give you peace. You seek the overindulgence of food to give you comfort. This now means that you are going to something other than your Savior to provide salvation for you. And then we are now walking in idolship. right? Now, don't worry. You are not alone in this lesson. And so now back to the element of real temperance. I'm telling you that... Every great move of God occurs when people in fact pull back the flesh and walk in temperance. I was thinking about it throughout the Bible. I cannot think of really a single quote unquote hero of the Bible who did not go through a journey first of having to pull back the flesh in some way. And so here just just to kind of stir your faith a little bit. Like if the Lord is pulling on you to pull back your flesh. Don't look at it as I have fallen short. Look at it as he is calling me to pull back my flesh because he is preparing me for greater things in life. He is preparing me for greater things in the kingdom of God. Because every person in the Bible had to go through this process in order to walk out in the destiny that the Lord has called them to and praise God, God is pulling on my heart to deal with this because he's preparing me. See, the thing here is like the, the, the pulling back the flesh. If you could pull back the flesh, we know other things are operating, right? If you pull back the flesh, the things of the soul are being sharpened. Because there is a connection of correlation between the two. Example, <clears throat> Abraham has to pull back the flesh and say, you know what, I'm going to leave my family, I'm going to leave everything I've ever known, I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to leave my sustenance of life to eat and all that kind of stuff, and I am just going to go where God has called me to, through the desert, I don't know where it is, he just said go, and I'm going to go and I have to pull back the flesh. Like, Can you imagine like giving up moving everything and you don't even know where you're going? God just says, I will show you where to go. So just start walking in the desert. That's like major pulling back the flesh. But because of pulling back the flesh, what happens, Abraham is able to walk in his destiny. Abraham is going to gain a new land. But more importantly, Abraham is going to gain a new inheritance. From his seed, the nations of the world will be blessed through Jesus. Wow. If Abraham did not pull back the flesh and leave the land of Ur in some kind of theoretical, theological universe, Jesus would not have come. Yeah, you gotta pull back the flesh and Jesus is gonna come, amen? Moses, 40 days in the desert, yet again, in the desert of Sinai. He meets God when he's there. Now you're telling, like, look, 40 days walking through the desert with like probably one canteen of water. 40 days. The hot, I've been in the Sinai Desert. I'm telling you, like melt your eyebrows off. It is so hot. And it is so barren. There is nothing around. And he's walking for 40 days, not eating, drinking a bit of water. And through that experience of learning to pull back the body and the flesh, the Lord raises his, him up. And he meets God face to face. And he receives his calling to be a deliverer of God's people and to bring an entire nation out of slavery. Daniel, he fasts and he receives wisdom and discernment that will promote him in his job before the king. John the Baptist eats a diet of locusts and honey, and wanders through the desert. Like, I'm eating locusts and honey. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, if, I, if that was my diet, forget about even going to the desert. But if that was my diet, man, talk about pulling back the flesh. He eats locusts and honey, wanders through the desert, and through the peeling back the flesh, he is now going to come back to civilization, if you will, out of the desert place, and he's going to proclaim the coming of the Lord. He is the Elijah that was foretold in the prophets. That Elijah must come before the coming of the Lord. And Jesus himself says, John the Baptist was Elijah, if you believe it. He came and he proclaims the coming of the Lord and then baptizes Jesus. He does that through the pulling back of his flesh. Jesus, 40 days of fasting in the desert, once again. And then he embarks on his ministry to defeat the powers of darkness. What happens here is there's a pulling back of the flesh that usually occurs in the desert place. Just the desert itself is an exercise of removing gluttony, because when you're going through the desert, it's hot. There's no convenience. You're living in your des in your little tent, right? Uh, but what's really powerful in the desert places of when your body is being submitted to the spirit. In Hebrew, uh, I've said this before. I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but in Hebrew, uh, desert is midbar. That's the Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word to speak is medaber. They are the same exact letters, the same exact essentially sounds. The emphasis is just on different word, letters. Midbar desert, medaber to speak. It's in the desert places where you are forced to peel back your flesh that the Lord speaks. That is why he brings people to the desert place all the time. Because there, you don't have distraction of the body. There, it's all being submitted. Now I can speak to you. Okay? Uh, More about the body. Last one. uh, Paul, the apostle, right? He gets scales which are on his eyes, right? He can't see. Can you imagine being blind tomorrow? Is that pulling back the flesh? Well, a little bit, like, I don't know how to walk. I need someone to help me. I'm not, it's it's, it's a way of pulling back the flesh. But what happens here is when he gets the scales on his eyes, it's now time to remove them, and he no longer just sees the natural, but now he also sees the eternal plan of God. This is the call. Now, what's happening here is the body is, in fact, the object of the earth. And the spirit is the object of the eternal. I'm going to say that again. The body is the object of the earth, and the spirit is the object of the eternal. When we submit the things of the earth, the eternal things will arise inside of you. And that's why temperance is so important. And temperance is also so important because you will open yourself up to other things when you're walking in overindulgence. And overindulgence in one thing will lead to overindulgence in another. And then it will lead to another and another and another. If we could have the worship team come up, please. Galatians 5, 16 gives us a little way out of this. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, if we walk in the Spirit, there's your answer. Walk in the Spirit, and then you will not fulfill the lust, the overindulgence of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we say, how do we do this, Dave? Like, you know, fine, all these people in the Bible did these things. And fine, maybe I have some overindulgence in my life. And I understand the connection. But like, how do I do it? Because, you know, I've been struggling with X, Y, and Z for a long time. And I understand. Because we all struggle with things, just some of them are hidden. Unless you step into a relationship with a brother or sister, you don't know what they are. So you may think I got my whole act together. But if you were interacting with me like Josh and Alan and my wife, you would know this boy up here doesn't have it all figured out. That he has difficulties, that he has worries, that he has anxieties, that he has things that he himself struggles with. Fortunately, or probably even unfortunately, you just don't see them. And I say unfortunately, because when you see things, then they're called out, right? So then if things are called out, it's easier to kind of deal with. Those hidden places, those presumptuous sins of David, no one gets to see them. So they're rarely ever called out. Unless you are humble enough to go to a brother or sister and be like, yo, this is what I'm dealing with. But temperance is essentially self-control over your passions and desires. Fine, Dave, how do I become temperate? I would say that the way to become temperate is to redefine your passion and redefine your desires. If temperance is self-control over passions and desires and you have inappropriate passions and desires, the way out of it is not to focus on those things, but to get a new passion, to get a new desire, and his name Is Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we'll go back to Philippians. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is when you say to yourself and to your mind when you're going through these difficult times. Of overindulgence, you have to take a small step and say, right now, in the midst of this, I invite Jesus in. And I say, instead of focusing on the element of the overindulgence, I say, Jesus, right now I need to meditate on you. I am literally right now asking you to show me how much you love me and how great you are so I can begin, begin to meditate not on the Gluttony, and not on the wrath and not on the lust and not on the greed and not on all of that but I can focus on your goodness. Let me fall in love with you even deeper, Lord. So when I'm going through those things I can be reminded of who you are and focusing on you and when I focus on you everything else has to go away. It is, I am telling you, the only way off the island. My God, my God. It's the only way. Anything else is going to put you right back on the island with Ginger and the, Mr. Howell and the professor. You're going to be right back there. Jesus has provided a way off. It only happens when we meditate on Arete. When we meditate on virtue, on excellence and goodness of Him, of who He is. Continually, day by day, moment by moment, walk in the Spirit. I go, how do I do that? You invite Him in. I want to know you. I want to know the depths, the width, the height of the love that you have for me. And throughout your day, when you wake up, when you eat breakfast, when you're tempted to watch TV for too long, you just have to muster up the smallest little mustard seed of faith and say, Lord, right now I'm asking you to let me sense your beauty. Let me sense your presence right now. Let me know you're right here next to me. And if Jesus is right next to you in the spirit, I'm telling you, all those things of the earth will soon quickly pass away. But you have to muster up that small little tiny seed. It's a small seed that just says, I invite you now. Just please, right now, let me know you're here so I do not walk down the path of overindulgence in anything. In anything in anything. And I'm telling you, sometimes... Actually, I would say most of the time. If if someone comes up to me and says, yo, Green Ockel, I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with this for, for months, weeks, years. If I really was doing my job, I would say, okay, well, have you walked in the Spirit? Have you invited Him in those moments? No, I haven't. Okay. Like, in that moment, you have to ask Him to come in. Okay, I asked Him to come in, but there's still, I don't see the breakthrough. I I get it. The second part to this is, have you fasted? No, I haven't fasted. Okay, so you haven't asked Him to come into your life in that moment, and you haven't fasted And you want deliverance? It's not going to happen. Why? Because it's a biblical principle. Invite him into your moment. But Jesus himself said, you need to fast. Ah. You want to learn how to peel back your flesh in all things? Don't eat for a day. See how quickly... The body just gets submitted to the spirit. It happens so quickly. Yeah, you have the hunger pains, but you're so hungry and you're and you're just asking him to come in. Your body is being pulled back to such an extent you're not going to be thinking about the woman down the street because you'll be thinking about that peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you get to eat at the end of the night. And fine, maybe you're struggling with food, but what, and so now you're really thinking about food, but what you're doing is you're training your spirit. You're training your body, your soul, and your mind to submit to the things of God. When we fast, we're saying to our body, I have a different Lord. We are saying to our body, I want more room inside of me to be a vessel for the goodness of the Lord. I want to draw closer to him in this way. That's what happens when you fast. You, it's nothing like mystical and spiritual. It's very practical. It's, you're telling your body, no, my Lord is Jesus. My Lord is Jesus. I don't need you as much as you think I need you. That's what you're saying. And just to solidify this in closing up, <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 1, which we, I believe, already read. But I'm to read the rest of it. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I encourage you to open up your Bible if you have it and let's read. Let's just take a moment. Like, it's important for you to know that your pastor is not a complete lunatic. How do I prove I'm not a complete lunatic? Let's look at what the Bible says about what Dave just taught. I I know of no better justification than the Word of God. So 2 Peter chapter 1. (coughs) But also, for this very reason, giving all, all diligence, add to your faith well, I'm safe, Yes, but add to your faith something. Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now the one that just like, oh, it stabbed me in the heart. This is the Bible. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Which things? Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, brotherly love. If you lack these things, you are short-sighted even unto blindness. And you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. This This is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Let us not be blinded. Let us not forget that because we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus... We have the ability, we have the ability by His Spirit to walk out in virtue, to walk out in goodness, to walk out in self-control, to walk out in kindness and in love. It's part of the reason why He came, amen? So Father, I pray that we do not be blind. Blind would be, uh, I do not see it in my own life. Let us not be forgetful that you have redeemed us. That you've made us a whole new creation. And yet, it is just the beginning. And yet, it is a process. And yet, yes, you are working in us. But, Father, I pray for those of us, which is really all of us, that deal with a lack of temperance in our life, whether it's food or entertainment or anything that you would come to us and speak to us to submit our bodies. Father, I pray right now that we would be able to truly walk out in our lives the ability to focus on those things which are pure, those things which are holy, those things which are righteous. And yes, Lord, I, I pray that there would be a conviction inside of us to, yes, even fast. That would be willingly fasting food for moments to peel back our flesh, to draw closer to you. Yes. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you feel that you have an idol in your life. whatever the idol may be. I want you to come on down. We're going to pray deliverance from that. Let me emphasize, an idol, it doesn't have to be food. An idol is essentially anything you go to that is replacing the power and authority of the Lord Jesus in your life could be coffee it could be TV it could be food it could be your own abilities and your own pride it could be exercise it could be work man how many men if you really want to be real how many men go to work to, to receive their identity it's probably it's got to be like 80% of the, of the church not this church but 80% of the church got to be like you go to work as a male to get your identity from it instead of getting your identity from Jesus. So it could be a, a bunch of things. If you can honestly say, like you, you think something's got a little, little too much of a hold on you, come on down. We're going to stand with you. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come walk with you. I'm even going to encourage you to go fast. That's the quickest way to peel back the flesh that I've, that I've encountered so I'll be praying Annabelle if you want to come on down and, and pray as well um, if more people come on down we'll get some other people let's we'll just close out with worship as we just stand with our brothers and sisters here and please if, if you feel that there's some things just come on down we've got plenty of people that would love to pray have a wonderful week we'll see you downstairs Next week will not be on the body. It will be the things of the soul. So it might be a little bit more palatable for us. Have a wonderful week.